0: Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode of a new series on ear, nose and throat pathology, we'll be going through tonsillitis. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerotofinals.com slash tonsillitis or in the ENT section of the Zero to Finals Pediatrics book. So let's get straight into it. Tonsillitis refers to inflammation of the tonsils. The most common cause of tonsillitis is a viral infection. Viral infections do not require or respond to antibiotics. The most common cause of bacterial tonsillitis is group A streptococcus or streptococcus pyogenes. This can be effectively treated with penicillin V which is also known as penicillin. The next most common cause of bacterial tonsillitis which also happens to be the most common cause of bacterial otitis media and rhinosinusitis is streptococcus pneumoniae. Other causes are Haemophilus influenza, Moraxella cataralis and Staphylococcus aureus. Let's start by discussing Waldia's tonsillar ring. In the pharynx at the back of the throat there is a ring of lymphoid tissue. There are six areas of lymphoid tissue making up the adenoids, the tubal tonsils, the palatine tonsils and the lingual tonsils. The palatine tonsils are the ones typically infected and enlarged in tonsillitis. These are the tonsils on either side at the back of the throat. Next let's talk about the features of tonsillitis. A typical presentation is a child with a fever, sore throat and painful swallowing. Children aged 5 to 10 years old are most often affected with another peak between the ages of 15 and 20. Tonsillitis can present with very non-specific symptoms, particularly in younger children. They may present only with a fever, a poor oral intake, headache, vomiting or even abdominal pain. So have a low threshold for examining the tonsils and suspecting possible tonsillitis. Examination of the throat will reveal red, inflamed and enlarged tonsils with or without exudates. Exudates are small white patches of pus on the tonsils. Always examine the ears with otoscopy to visualize the tympanic membranes and also palpate for cervical lymphadenopathy or swollen lymph nodes in the neck when you're assessing a child with suspected tonsillitis. Let's talk about the centaur criteria. The centaur criteria can be used to estimate the probability that tonsillitis is due to bacterial infection and will benefit from antibiotics. This has mostly been replaced by the fever pain score but it's worth knowing about it anyway. A score of three or more gives a 40 to 60% probability of bacterial tonsillitis and it's appropriate to offer antibiotics. A point is given if each of the following features are present, fever above 38 degrees Celsius, tonsillar exudates, absence of cough and tender anterior cervical lymph nodes or lymphadenopathy. Next let's talk about the fever pain score. The fever pain score is an alternative to the Centaur criteria. A score of 2 to 3 gives a 34 to 40% probability and a score of 4 to 5 gives a 62 to 65% probability of bacterial tonsillitis. The score is made up of five different criteria and fever pain is the mnemonic for remembering these criteria. The criteria are fever in the past 24 hours, P for prurulence or pus on the tonsils, A for attended within three days of the onset of symptoms, I for severely inflamed tonsils, and N for no cough or chorizal symptoms. Let's talk about management of tonsillitis. It's important to exclude other serious pathologies such as meningitis, epiglottitis, and peritonsillar abscess. When tonsillitis is the most likely diagnosis, calculate the Centor criteria or the fever pain score. If the child is likely to have viral tonsillitis, educate the parents and the child about viral tonsillitis and give safety net advice about when to seek further medical input. Advise simple analgesia with paracetamol and ibuprofen to control the pain and the fever. The nice clinical knowledge summaries suggest advising patients to return if the pain has not settled after three days or the fever rises above 38.3 degrees Celsius. When this occurs, you can start antibiotics or consider an alternative diagnosis. Consider prescribing antibiotics immediately if the central criteria is above or equal to 3 or the fever pain score is above or equal to 4. Always consider antibiotics if they're at risk of more serious infections for example very young infants, immunocompromised patients or those with significant comorbidity or if there's a history of rheumatic fever. Delayed prescriptions can be considered. This involves educating the patients and the parents about the likely viral nature of the sore throat and providing a prescription that is only to be collected if the symptoms do not improve or worsen in the next two to three days. Consider admission if the patient is immunocompromised, systemically unwell, dehydrated, has stridor, respiratory distress, or evidence of a peritonsillar abscess or cellulitis. Let's discuss the choice of antibiotic. Penicillin V, which is also called phenoxylmethylpenicillin, or a 10-day course is the typical first-line antibiotic of choice for tonsillitis. The trouble with penicillin V is it tastes very bad in liquid form, so young children requiring syrups are often reluctant to take it. Amoxicillin is sometimes used because it has a better taste, however this is not part of the guidelines. Clarithromycin is the first-line antibiotic choice if the child has a true penicillin allergy. Finally, there's some complications of tonsillitis to be aware of and these include chronic tonsillitis, peritonsillar abscess, which is also known as Quinsy, otitis media if the infection spreads to the inner ear, scarlet fever, rheumatic fever, post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis and post reactive arthritis. So thanks for listening to this episode on tonsillitis. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. I'd be really grateful if you left a rating or a view on whichever podcast store you use. This is very helpful for keeping me motivated and providing feedback that helps me improve on the podcast. Also consider subscribing to the podcast so you get notified of new podcast episodes when they come out. And I hope you join me for the next episode where I'll be talking about Quincy or peritonsillar abscess.